Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. You got a copy of the Word. Open up to the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians, the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. We're beginning a brand new series today that I've entitled, Above All. It's drawn from Paul's teaching in this little book of Colossians. Uh, it's appropriate, I believe, that we consider these things as, as we approach what is the greatest day uh, in the history of the earth and certainly the most monumental moment on the calendar of the church, the day that Jesus Christ arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. How many of y'all are glad that he is victorious today, that the grave could not hold him, that up he came from that grave. And man, he holds the keys to death and hell on his belt buckle. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and we're going to study a little bit on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, theologically. You might call that Christology. Uh, if that suits you, that is fine. We're just going to talk a little bit about Jesus from my perspective in the next few weeks as we come to this time of Easter and we consider what He means and who He is. And I think we'll all readily agree that He is absolutely supreme in every arena and that He is above all things. This little church at Colossae could easily be described as the church at, at Fairview. For see, Colossae was a small town overshadowed by its neighboring communities, most notably Laodicea and uh, Aramopolis was there close to it. Those cities were bigger. This was just kind of the, the country, the outcast folk down there. They were overshadowed all the time by them. And man, here we are. Nobody knows where Fairview, North Carolina much is unless you've been here before or grew up here. But I tell you, somebody who does know where it is, and that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And He is Lord in Chicago. He's Lord in New York. He, he's Lord in Rome. But let me tell you, He's Lord in Fairview, North Carolina, and in your heart and in your life today. And as we consider this book, we, we think that, that man, I, I believe Paul and the, and the Holy Spirit chose to include it in the canon above those others too. Just to say, man, I'm Lord, I'm above all in the furthest reaches of the earth. If the world thinks it's worthy, I'm still above that. If the world thinks it's unworthy, I'm still above that. I am above all. It's important to note that Paul had not seen this church that we know of and these people. But it was really a product, and he had heard about it through his real good friend and fellow minister, Epaphras. And what a church she was. We want to consider that thought today, just who she is and, and the way that, uh, that Paul looked at her. Man, the things that he had heard about her. Let's begin reading at chapter 1, verse 1, and, and we will read as far as the Holy Spirit leads me. I think we're going to go through verse 8 this morning. How about that? It says, Paul, an apostle of who? Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy or Timotheus, our brother. To the, what's that word? Saints. That doesn't mean they were perfect. I mean, y'all ever heard somebody, wow, they're just a saint. And you're talking about their behavior and, and how, how they conduct themselves and how well they act. And, and you're talking about a level of behavior. But that's not really what he's talking about. He's just talking about the fact that they are born again believers in Jesus Christ. To the saints and faithful brethren, he also calls them. In Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we give thanks, he says, to God and the Father of our Lord 
Jesus Christ. He keeps saying that over and over because that is the theme of this epistle. Praying always for you. Since we have heard of your faith in who? Christ Jesus and the love which you have to not some of the saints. It's easy to love some of the brethren, but he says, man, you have love to all the brethren. And for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as in, and it is in all the world, and it bringeth forth fruit. The gospel is always fruitful, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew of the grace of God in truth. And as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now to say Christ is above all, that's a very powerful and a very large statement. When you say he's above all, you're saying he's above everything. And as we go on through this book, you'll see passage after passage after passage that says he is above all things, that he is before all things. That he is the head of all things. And we're going to look at some of those all things in this series. Man, to say he's above all is a powerful and all-inclusive statement. What does it mean, Pastor? It means he stands absolutely alone. It means that he's untouched. It means that he's unthreatened. It means that he's unrivaled. It means he's absolutely supreme in every area that we know of and every area that we don't even know about yet. We're certain that Jesus Christ is over and above all of these things. As we consider Christ today and, and what Colossians teaches us about Him, I want to sow three thoughts into your mindset as we open up this series. To say He's above all men it means He's absolutely unique. It means that you're saying there's nobody like Him. It means that you can look everywhere you want to and you'll never find another of his quality, of his caliber, or of his kind. It means that he's absolutely unique. Now, beloved, in the world today, mark it down. Young people, mark it down. In the world today, there are a whole lot of pretenders. And there's a whole lot of people that the enemy parades out that he would love you to pay your allegiance to, that he would love you to give your life to, that he would love you to trust above all things. But I'm here to tell you there is no one like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one and he is the only. And beloved, he is the real thing. They may try to parade person after thing after person before you, but I'm here to tell you they're only pretenders to the throne. For it is secure and safe and on it sets the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and there is nobody like him. When I say the word supreme, I want you to be honest. What comes to your mind? You can say it. I, I know what you're thinking. Pizza, isn't that right? I mean, you, how many times have you went into the pizza hut and said, give me a, a supreme, man, a thin and crispy, large supreme, man. That's, a, that's what you think of when you say the word supreme. Now, I'm here to tell you there's only one place you can get a real supreme pizza, and that is Pizza Hut. Now, every place you go, they've got a 
supreme on their menu. They've got one of those. But there's really only one of them. There's only one original, and it resides at the Pizza Hut, the Supreme Pizza. If you want a real Supreme, you got to go to the Pizza Hut. Well, I'm here to tell you there's only one Supreme being in this universe. It is not Allah. It is not Muhammad. You say you're calling names. Yes, I am. Because the world calls them very clearly, and I'm not afraid to call them in the house of the living God. It is not Allah. It is not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Joseph. Joseph Smith. It's not Krishna. It wasn't Adolf Hitler. It isn't some nirvana divine essence out there. It's not some great teacher like Mahatma Gandhi. It's not even the Satan, the enemy himself. I'll tell you who's the supreme being who sits on the throne of this universe. It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Absolutely unique. Nobody like him. You go to those others and ask them to heal your sight and see how far they get. You go to those others and ask them to heal your sin-sick soul and see how far they get. You go to those others and ask them to promise you an eternity in a place called heaven and see how far they can take you. You go to those others and ask them to give you a life that's purposeful and meaningful and impacting to others and see how far they can take you. They may take you a little ways, but beloved, in the light of who Jesus is, they'll fail miserably every time. Why? He alone has those powers. He alone has those abilities. He's unique in every form and every fashion. When we say Jesus Christ is above all, what we're saying is, beloved, He's absolutely unique. How many of y'all in the house of the Lord today would say, Pastor, I believe alongside you my declaration is there's nobody like Him. He is above every principality. He's above every power and authority. Absolutely unique. Would you give the Lord a great praise if that's the thought of your heart and the belief of your mind today? He's absolutely unique when we say... He's above all. That's what we're saying. Secondly, we're saying that he's undeniable. It's one thing to declare and believe that he's above all and absolutely unique, but it's another when you come in contact with him and you don't want to say it. You don't want to admit it. You don't want to be the one to confess it. You actually believe something else, but here he is. And when your eyes fall on him, the thought of your mind and the understanding of your heart is, man, he is above all. He is He's absolutely supreme. And see, there's something about Jesus Christ. Everybody he ever came in contact with while he was on this earth left different and changed. They left understanding that he had words that nobody else had. They left understanding that he had power and ability and love and grace and mercy that nobody else had. And see, whether they ever received it into their lives or not, when they encountered him, they could not deny that he really was something much different than anything they had ever encountered before. And when you see him, you have that sense of the fact that there is no question about it, that he is, he is the absolute best and foremost. There's not even anything to debate that it is him above all else. You see, the Word tells us that one of these days he's going to return and what's going to happen. The Word says that every eye is going to see him. Every eye is going to fall on who he is and fully understand who he is. And the word says in that moment that kings and potentates will bow. And they will honor the name of Jesus Christ because they cannot, will not, and it's not possible for them to stand in the face of his authority and his power. It says that one of these days every tongue is what? Going to kind of confess that Jesus Christ is what? 
is the Lord. And the Word says that how many knees? Every knee is going to bow in the presence of the King. And you see, it's absolutely undeniable. When you say He's above all, you say, man, there is no debate. Man, we were eating popcorn at our house, and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a popcorn connoisseur. I love that. Man, my, my mother started my kids, and now my, my wife kind of continued that thing and, and, and took it to another level of making the kids their own special concoction. You see, you can get microwave popcorn that has the theater butter on it and all that stuff, and it's really, really good. But my wife has taken to, to taking about a, a four or five tablespoons of butter and putting them in a, in a dish and, and melting it in the microwave and then popping the popcorn, putting it in a bowl and kind of drizzling that melted butter over it as she shakes it. And man, you say, is that healthy? Absolutely not. No, not in any way, shape, or form. You say, is it good? Absolutely. Man, it's good. And man, I, I've started trying to eat healthy lately. We were sitting there the other night watching TV, all four of us there in the living room together. And mom, they asked, will you pop us some of the greatest popcorn in all the earth? Isn't it funny how kids know the language to use when they really want to motivate you? Mom, you make the best popcorn on the planet in the universe. Could you make us some of it? So she goes in there to make it. And I'm thinking, wow, what a treat. I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Only to find that when the, the popping was done, they got the bowl with the butter. And I got the job time that tastes like wood stubble and hay. How many of y'all, hey, hey, that's what I got. Why, you need to be healthy. You need to watch your weight, man. You don't be eating all that grease. Man, it wasn't any question in my mind. Every bite I took, I was envious of the bites that they were taking. I thought, man, this is, this is just not fair. Don't people know? That's the best problem. Listen, my dog even knew that that popcorn was better. She sat right over there staring them down, and every little kernel they'd put in her mouth, she'd chomp it up. And man, we threw one of those over there that didn't have the butter on it. She looked at it, looked right back at Riley like, uh-uh, don't even try. Don't even try that. Don't eat that mess when this is available right here. I mean, even the dog knows that popcorn's better. And I'm here to tell you, you, you don't have to debate when you take Jesus Christ and compare him to anything else in the world. It's undeniable that He is the supreme sovereign Lord of this universe and that He sits on His throne above all principalities and all powers and even above every thought you have in your heart and your mind about who you are. He is above all. When you say it, what you're saying is that He's absolutely unique. You're saying that it's absolutely undeniable. Colossians teaches us in theological terms, Christology, the doctrine of Christ. Now, there are many powerful statements, man, in heaven and in earth. And, and what we're saying is that Jesus Christ undeniably stands and reigns supreme above them all. Thirdly, when we say He's above all, we're saying this. We're saying that He's unrivaled. We're saying that He's unrivaled. We're saying that there's not even anybody else in play or anybody else out there that can even give him any competition. We're saying he's absolutely unrivaled. Not only is he unique, not, on, not only is it undeniable, we're saying that there's not even on the horizon a rival that could pretend to come and stand beside him for even a second. We're saying that he's above everything without any equal and even someone who might try to threaten his position. Uh, my daughter was home. She comes home on Fridays, so I, I love to, to eat lunch with her after she gets home from college. And man, I took her, took her wherever she wanted to go. I said, you pick. She said, let's go to Chili's. 
I said, well, if we have to. I mean, if we have to go, we'll, we'll go. We went in up there, and, man, we were out in the parking lot, got out of the car, and I looked up on the sidewalk, and I saw a man that I knew. He's a preacher. I hadn't seen him in just a, in a good while, and there he was. And, man, he was getting out one side of the car, and I had no thought who would get out the other side of the car. It never crossed my mind when I saw the door swing open. His wife got out of the other side of the car. And then we stood on the sidewalk and renewed our, our acquaintance and talked with him so much. And, and man, he, uh, he took her on in and uh, uh, opened the door for her as she walked in, both doors for her as she walked in, let her go first. And, man, when we went in, you'd have thought that, that the, the mayor of Asheville or somebody much more important than that had walked in that door. Man, when those two walked in, the host went nuts. He said, we got your table ready for you. We already got the stuff set out. Already got your drinks on it. We, we've been looking for your arrival. And I just stood back and watched what was happening. And man, they ushered them over to a special table by the window and sat them down there. The waitress came over and said, man, do you want your special? What do you want? You want your usual? And what's happening, man? The guy at the desk said, do you know them? Because he saw us walking in. I said, absolutely. Great friends of mine. He said, man, I admire and respect those two people more than anybody. I I've ever seen. He said, it's obvious they're so in love. He said, I've never seen. Now, these are his words, not mine. He said, I've never seen two old people hold hands from the car to the restaurant like they do. He said, man, they still hold one another's hand. Man, he still opens the door for her. He still orders for her at the table. He's brought her here every Friday at the same time for lunch. As long as I've been working here, they talk to everybody that's in here. People sit and they minister to them in their lives. And they said, we marvel at the way that he loves his wife he said to me this he said it proves to me and challenges me that chivalry is not dead yet it's clear that he loves her above everything else in his life without debate and man what a statement just by his actions to understand that that she holds first place in his life and not just in a momentary way, but proven over time that, that she is above all things in, in every, every other area, unrivaled in his life as the place that his wife held and holds for him. And you see, Jesus Christ is that way. There is no other one that should rival him. There is no one else beside him. There is no one else like him. And he should own our everything. I love that song, the old song, Oh, how I love Jesus. Do y'all remember singing that in the church as you grew up? Oh, how I love Jesus. Man, what a song. It's not hard to remember the words. It's, oh, how I love Jesus. It's a declaration of what? That there is nobody on earth that I love more than the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's one thing to say that he has no rival in this universe and there's nobody going to take his place by force. But it's another thing to look into your own heart and life and say, is that the truth in my heart? Is he unrivaled in my life? Is there anybody in my own heart, in my own existence, that I'm placing above the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he above all? Not in the world, that's without debate. How about in my heart and in my life? Is it Him that I love more than anything else? Is it He that takes my top priority? Is it He that holds first place? 
And the Lord led me to start right here in this passage for I was going to jump on down to the preeminence of Christ and begin to talk about creation and redemption and all those things. And the Lord stopped me and He said, Stacy, I started with what was probably most important. And this is the question I'm here to ask you today. Is, is He unrivaled in your heart and in your life? Is He above all in your life? Can you look at how you live? Can you look at how you hold things in your life? And is it clear and without debate that Jesus Christ is number one? For you see, if He is above all, and we agree that He is, then the one place in this universe that ought to be the clearest is in the heart of a child of the King. For you see, He needs to be above all in our hearts and in our lives before we can honestly understand how He's above all in every other aspect of this world. And we look at this little church at Colossae, and what Paul teaches us is that, man, these folks had Him in their heart above all things. That it wasn't just lip service for them, but that they really loved the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I know? Man, that passage we read is, is just full and fraught with truth that points us to the fact that these saints at Colossae, didn't Paul call them saints in Christ Jesus? He's saying, man, you are a saint in Christ Jesus. You're fellow brethren. You're together. You're part of the family of God. You trust in Him. He talked about that. How many times did he say Jesus Christ? A whole bunch in the introduction section in those first three verses. He said it time after time after time. And he goes on to say it again. Man, their faith is in Jesus Christ. Everything they're about is Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, man, in this little church, it's my understanding. And it's what I hear about you is that you love Jesus Christ more than anything else. Man, it would be good for us to look into our own hearts today and say, is that true? Is that true? I'm here to tell you it should be. It really should be. It shouldn't be any debate, man, that, that he should be first in our hearts and in our lives. You say, why, Pastor? There's a whole lot of other things I have on my mind. Why, Pastor? Well, don't get scared. I, I got a little time. I'm going to give you six reasons that I pull. Don't get scared. I'm going to give you six reasons that I pull from this text. Six clear reasons why uh, that we ought to just hold Jesus Christ above everything else in our hearts and our lives. And we see it from looking at what Paul says about these saints at Colossae. Number one, he ought to be first in our hearts and our lives above everything else. Number one, because he is the sphere of our faith. Because he is the absolute sphere of our faith. Look what he says in verse 4. I heard, he said, of your faith. And where is that faith? In Christ Jesus. He's saying your faith has an object, and beloved, faith always does. And that object is nobody less than the Lord Jesus Christ. It's something to say I believe. It's something to say I trust. But man, what he's saying is I, I heard of your faith, and that's a great thing. We ought to say it more clearly, though, and more pointedly. He said, I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can place our faith in, in every other thing. Instead of Christ Jesus, in light of trying to get our faith to be in Christ Jesus. The Word says this, in Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we have our being. And that means this, we've placed all our trust in Christ rightly. For you see, He's not only the object of our faith, He absolutely encompasses our faith. The fact that we have any faith is a work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that we trust Him and believe Him is a work that He wrought on our behalf. And you see what He's saying is, I've heard of the sphere of your faith, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know anyone in your life that when they tell you this, when they say, look, I got that, don't worry about it anymore. Do you have anybody in your life that you don't worry about it? There's a few people I know that, man, when they tell me I got it, I don't give it a second thought. If they say, I, I got that, don't you worry about that part of it, I got that. I don't ever think about it again. I just trust that it's done and it's there. And what we do when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ is just simply say, Father, you got it. And what he says to us is, look, son, daughter, I got this. I'm in full control of it, and, and what you need to do is just trust me with it. Place your faith in me and just begin to walk. Now, there are many people in the world out there asking us to trust them. There are many people in the world out there who are conning us, trying to win our faith and win our allegiance. But He is the one in whom we have trusted our life and our salvation to. He's the one we trust our life here to and our life hereafter to. And He's the only one that's worthy of that level of trust in our life. He's saying, church, He ought to be number one in your life because you're trusting Him with your eternal destiny. Why shouldn't you place him in his rightful place as the Lord of your life? How many of y'all can say today, Hey, Pastor, I'm not perfect at it, but the best I know, Jesus Christ is above all things in my life. I trust Him with my eternal destiny. He is the very sphere of my faith. I'm here to tell you, if the Lord Jesus Christ fails me, I have no backup plan because He is the one that I place my trust in. Paul says he ought to be number one, if that's the truth. He says, I've heard, church, of the sphere of your faith. Do you trust him above everything today? How about your money? How about your position? How about your family? How about those friends? And man, Americans, we trust ourselves, even our own intellect and our own ability. And what I'm here to tell you today is, hey, all that's, I understand the reasoning behind all that. But above all that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sphere of our faith. Secondly, He's the source of our love. He is the place from which our love originates, the place from which our love flows, and really all love in the universe flows from Him. He says, I heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, and He said, what else did He hear about? He said, I heard of the love which you have to all the saints. And man, he is the source of that love. Paul had heard of it, birthed into their lives by a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good that he started with faith, because that's where we must start in our journey with Jesus Christ. And then right after faith becomes a love that you have for the love for the Lord and a love for the, for the brothers and sisters that you never understood, a love for the lost and the dying that you never even noticed and were a part of not too long ago. The Word says this, it's even our assurance. It says that you know that you have passed from death unto life. How? That you have love for the brethren. He said, if you want to know you're saved, if you want to be sure you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, just look around at his people. Do you have love for them? That's how you know that you've passed from death unto life. And Paul's saying, man, he ought to be number one because he is the source of your love. His love teaches us, I put it this way, and inspires us to love one another. We couldn't love without God's love first. We couldn't love without a model of love. I, I hope you've got it. I preached on it for a whole lot of weeks, the love, the agape love of God. And beloved, we can't love without a workable model before us like the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, I'm here to tell you, He has taught you how to love. He has made it possible for you to love. And He inspires you to love. He's supreme and all in all in my heart today. Why? Not because I love Him so much, but because He first loved me and made it possible for me to love Him and to love those around me. 
And Paul's saying, I understand that Jesus Christ is the object of your faith and the sphere of your faith, but I also understand that Jesus Christ is the source of your love. Now, I love my daughters naturally. I love them. But man, I was taught how to love them specifically and specially. I didn't know I was being taught. But as I go back in my life and look at how my mom and dad loved me, it was a model for me on how to love my daughters. You're in this house today, you might say, Pastor, well, I didn't have a mom and dad like that. Well, let me tell you who you do have. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and who has demonstrated his great love for you on a cross at Calvary. And whether your mama was ever in your life or whether your daddy was in your life, let me tell you one who is in your life right now. His name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He loved you before you were born. He knew you before you ever came into this world. And He loved you. And beloved, He loves you in this moment. And if you look to Him, He'll inspire you and enable you to love in a way that's impossible without Him. And Paul says, why should he be first in your life? Why? Because someone who has loved you like that deserves that place in your life. He says, I've heard that he is the sphere of your faith. And beloved, if we have placed our faith in him, then that demands that he's the first place in our life. He's the source of your love. The fact that he has loved us and made us able to love one another, that demands that he hold first place in our life. Thirdly, he's the surety of our hope. Now, a surety is something that you give, something that's required to hold a deal. Look what Paul says. He said, I've also heard of the hope that which is laid up for you in heaven. He said, you heard it through the gospel. And it gave you and birthed you hope. Hope only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been somewhere and they've asked you for a down payment? And you see, you have to have that before they'll give you credit and hope that you'll do what you say you're going to do. Nowadays, you have to have something for anything you get. We were in Dollywood some years ago trying to rent a stroller for our daughter. Has it ever occurred to anybody in here to take a Dollywood stroller home with them? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, why would I want to take a Dollywood stroller home with me? I mean, that's the furthest thing. I just want to use it for a little while so I can keep my kids going when, when, when they're trying to stop somewhere I don't want them to. So I have a, a little control over what they're doing. First time I ever went over there to rent a Dollywood stroller, the guy asked me for my driver's license. He asked me for a major credit card. I, I said, brother, all I'm wanting to do is rent a stroller. I'll pay you up front. He said, no, I want some certainty that you're going to bring it back here. And I said, explain that to me. He said, well, you might not take it home, but you'll leave it somewhere in this park if I don't have something that makes you bring it back here. So we need something that you'll come and get. I said, well, brother, man alive, do you have to have a credit card? Do you have to have a driver's license? I never will forget. He smiled at me. And he said, well, we used to get two reputable references that had seen you drive a stroller before, and we used to keep your child's favorite toy, but we let that go after a few complaints. He wanted some surety, beloved. He wanted some guarantee, some hope that I'll return that stroller so they won't have to run all over the park picking them up when the day's done. And you see, how many of y'all have a hope today? Let me ask you again. Maybe you didn't hear me. How many of y'all have a hope today? Paul says, I don't want you like those who have no hope. Didn't he say that in 1 Thessalonians? He said, don't be as others. Don't grieve like them who have no hope. And what he's saying is you have a blessed hope. And what is that hope? My hope is that one of these days, 
The trumpet of God will sound, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, not some pretender or some angelic being, but the Lord Jesus Christ himself will descend in a cloud. And man, I ain't going to wait on him to get here when that happens, and he ain't going to let me wait on, wait on him. He's going to call me unto himself. And beloved, I've never flown outside of an airplane, but in that day I'll fly air Jesus because I'll meet him in the clouds, and I'll be with him forever and ever and ever throughout all eternity. And man, that's a hope that we have that this world does not have. I'm going to exist alongside the creator of this universe. I'm going to reign and rule with him throughout all eternity. He's going to love me. I'm going to love him. And we're going to be there together, not for a thousand years or a million years or even a billion years, but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever I'll dwell with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you again. How many of y'all are glad you have a hope today? How many of y'all are glad you have such a hope in your life that, man, this world isn't it by any stretch of the imagination? You know why you have it? How can you be certain? I'm trusting Jesus Christ. He is my hope. The truth of all that begins and ends with one person. Jesus Christ of Nazareth has nothing to do with who you are or what you do has nothing to do with how much money you have or or any service you might render has nothing to do with your intellect it depends solely upon one person and that person is my Lord he is my Savior and he is my friend and I trust him his name is Jesus How many of y'all are trusting in Jesus for your hope of eternity today? If that's true, he should be unrivaled in your heart. Why? Man, because he's the certainty. He's that surety that I have a hope. Fourthly, he's the subject of our gospel. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to hustle. He's the subject of our gospel. Why should he be first in our hearts? Man, because he's the only story we have to tell, beloved. He said, man, this hope sprang forth from the gospel. That gospel that was fruitful in you. That gospel which you heard. Man, the truth of that gospel. It's come to live and take up life in you. And and thereby in the world around you, the gospel has begun to bear fruit. And it's done that ever since the day you heard of it and, and knew of it. And man, today, what is the gospel? Well, it's the story of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And folks, because we have a story to tell... Man, and he is that story. Man alive, he, that ought to place him first and foremost in our hearts and our lives. You ever heard somebody tell the same story? Over and over and over. When you run into them, you might talk to them for 10 minutes and they'll tell you that story in 10 minutes somewhere. You might talk to them for 30 seconds. They'll probably start with that story because it's their favorite story. There's a dear lady I visit and when I go sit with her, I can guarantee you one of the things we're going to talk about. She'll talk about her husband. She'll talk about their life together of 60 plus years. She'll talk about how he used to 
to come together from, from out in the field and, and tell her to be ready to go at a certain time and how he used to walk up the steps and she'd see the smile on his face and, and come up and say, Honey, are you ready? And then when she said, I got one more thing to do, she said he would just go downstairs in the living room and sit patiently, as you should do, men, with that smile on his face waiting on his bride to come down. She said, Man, we'd walk out to the old car together, the one he had. He could have got a new one, didn't want it, loved the old car. She'll tell you all about their life together and she'll tell that same story of him coming in the house coming to ask her if she's ready waiting on her in the living room and walking out and getting in the car with her and heading to where they want to go you know what I don't sit there and say honey you've told me that story 10,000 times I mean I don't do that why because it's her story and it's the story that means the most to her and then what I need to do is sit and listen to it. And you know what I have found? That it thrills me every time she tells it. And that it inspires me every time she tells it. And it makes me look forward to, to and th be thankful for the days I've had with my wife. But look forward to the days the Lord's going to give us. And man, my hope is that if He allows us both to live and we carry till we've been married 60 plus years, that, that the story I tell will be about her when other people come around. And you see, as a church, we can tell a whole lot of wonderful things. And man, we can, we can share a whole lot of wonderful experiences. But I'm going to tell you the story that we have that's above every other. And that's the story of a God who loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to live a perfect life on this planet for us. And in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate a death that He died in our stead. And there, His rich royal blood poured out on the mercy seat of God. And in Him, I have redemption through His blood. We'll study that. Even the forgiveness of sins. And man, they put Him in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, that old sealed stone rolled away. And He came up out of that tomb alive and well. And man, He ascended to the right hand of the Father where He now sets and one day I expect him one glorious day with all my heart to come again and retrieve me unto himself and beloved we can tell a lot of things but there is no story like the old old story of Jesus and his love why should he be supreme in our hearts because he is the subject of our gospel you know what if we tell anybody anything else except Jesus Christ we're leading them astray He's the subject of our message to this world. Fifthly, I love this. He's the supplier of our grace. Why should he be number one in our hearts and in our lives? Because he is the supplier of our grace. Look what he said. He said, man, that gospel, it, it took up root in you. Man, it did all that. But, but you understand, too, that it was all by the grace of God. In the end of verse 6, she said, since the day you heard of it and knew the what? Grace of God in truth. He's saying, man, it was by grace that it came to you. And who ushered that grace into your life? The acronym we always use for grace is this, isn't it? You could probably repeat it with me. God's riches. How many have y'all been taught that? God's riches at whose? Christ's expense. So he's the supplier of your grace today. Now, it's inarguable that everybody needs and deep down wants grace. Whether they believe it comes from Jesus or not is beside the point. It's well true that everybody wants grace. Especially when you've done something wrong and you have no help any other way than somebody forgive you or let you off the hook. All of a sudden, grace becomes a highly desirable commodity in your life. 
Well, I'm going to tell you the only way we ever achieved grace from an almighty God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the distributor. He's the supplier. All that grace that we have in our lives came to us by His hand. I'm going to ask you today, how many of y'all have tasted of the grace of an almighty God? How many of y'all have tasted that? You know where it came from? It came from Jesus Christ. Y'all know I love donuts. I love any kind. I love those white ones, sweet 16. You get them in a bag at the grocery store. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. I eat all those, man. I'll eat them all. I can eat a whole bag in one night. If I got a glass of chocolate milk, I can eat them all. I love donuts. Love Dunkin' Donuts. Great, man. Love Dunkin' Donuts. I, I, man, I love a, a pack of Ingles Donuts, man. Get me a dozen glazed Ingles Donuts. I'll eat them, man. I ain't, I ain't that picky. But I'm going to tell you what my favorite is. Y'all know it, don't you? That's my story. It's Krispy Kreme. Man, I got an app on my phone that tells me where the closest Krispy Kreme is at all times. How many of y'all, hey, hey, I do. Why? Because they're supplier of my favorite donut, the chocolate-covered, cream-filled, Krispy Kreme donut. That's all me, beloved. Now, the rest of them are okay, but that's the one I want more than any other thing. And there's only one place to get it. It's Krispy Kreme. I'm here to tell you grace is all good. It's wonderful for somebody to forgive you in your life. It's wonderful for your brother, your mother, or your friend to forgive you. But I'm going to tell you the greatest forgiveness you need is you need forgiveness from the Creator of this universe. For you see, it's ultimately against Him that we have sinned and fallen short. And it's ultimately against Him that we have committed these things in our lives. And it's not that I've offended you that really matters. It's that I've offended the King of kings and the Lord of lords that really matters. And the grace I need is not from you today. The grace I need is from God Himself in my life today. And beloved, there's only one place to get that grace. And you know where it is? It's from the good hand of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he ought to hold first place in your life today because it's him that ushered that grace into possibility for you. Without him, I'd be lost and undone and without hope, eternally separated from my Father in heaven. But thanks be unto God that Jesus Christ has made a way for me. And it's not the way of works, beloved. It's the way of grace. Praise be unto God. And it came from his good hand. He ought to be first in our life. If He's the only way we can relate to God, and if He's done all the work for us, beloved, who should rival Him in the affections of our heart? Lastly, because He is the sovereign of our service. He is the sovereign of our service. We look in, in the latter part of those verses I read. In verses 7 and 8, He talks about a man named Epaphras. Many believe to be the father of this Colossian church. At the very least, he was a very important and influential person in these people's lives. He had a bunch to do with them being saved. He had a bunch to do with the church existing there in Colossae in the way it did. They owed him a little bit, and they loved him, no doubt about it. Here he was, Epaphras, and Paul said, Man, you've learned, you've learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is, your, who, who is for you a faithful minister of who? Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. He is a faithful minister not of Paul, right? Not of Paul. Although there's no doubt Paul probably led him to the Lord and sent him there to do this work. But he didn't say, well, he's a faithful ministry of me. He came out of my ministry and came out of my legacy and he's learned under my teaching. Now, what did he say? He's a, he's a minister of who? And you see, ultimately, all your service 
comes from Christ. Anything you've really done for the Lord, it was Christ that did it in you and through you. Anything you've really ever accomplished for the kingdom, you ought to turn and say, thank you, Lord, for doing it in spite of me and through me. I'll say this again. I say it a lot, but I want you to hear it. Anything I've really done for the kingdom, I wonder if I even know about it. I wonder if I'm even aware of the things I've really done for the kingdom. For usually the things I think I've done, I probably did for myself. And you see, really, Christ is the sovereign of all ministry. It's He that originates it. It's He that oversees it. It's He that carries it out. It's He that makes it effective. He says, look at Epaphras. He's, he's a minister to you and for you. Sent from the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I put this thought down. We ought to count it a privilege to be a servant of the king. Man, the fact that I have an opportunity today to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that in his grace, mercy, love, all that that he has extended to me, he didn't just leave me there to sit, but he said, look, I have a purpose for you in this. And I want you to participate in the work of my kingdom. You know, I, my dad used to ask me to help him do things when I was a little boy. Man, I thought I was really helping him, you know. Truth be told, once I grew up, I realized I was in his way. It probably took him five times longer to do that because I was kicking around under his feet while he was doing it. You know what really meant something to me? It's when I grew a little older and he came to me and said, Son, would you help me? And he meant it. And I was actually able to come to my father who had done so much for me and do something that was of benefit to him. And man, today, we have the most marvelous opportunity in all the universe. Does God need us? No. He's right able. We're here preaching. He's above all. Listen, he's capable of doing whatever he wants, whatever he wants, however he wants to do it. But it pleased him. To say, I'd love to have you come and help me. Sincerely. He's the sovereign of our service. The fact that he has allowed us to participate in this great kingdom work. How could we love anybody anymore? We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.